We are in our current series, Solutions, a series all about the entire book of Romans and realize how deep we were going to get into this thing. Um, last week, we spent about the entire message just on basically verses 1 through 6. I thought we were going to finish chapter 1 today, but we ain't going to get through chapter 1 today. So this is week two, and we're still in chapter one, and we're going to be in chapter one next week. And So this is going to be another one of those 40-week series on a 16-chapter book, amen? Um, and it's important, because Romans is pretty much the crux of theology for all denominations. Uh, many people don't know this, but there, did you know that there are over 5,000 denominations registered in the United States of America in the Christian religion? That means there are 5,000 different ideas of one way, one truth, and one life. And I'm sick and tired of everyone thinking that they can put a spin on theology just to suit their ideas and their practices. And we need to stand on what the Word says. And I don't want to develop or be a part of a people or a house that says, let's make this Word work for us. I want to develop a house that says, let's get in line with the word. So moving forward, we're going to get in Romans and we're going to see what the, the book actually says. So as we're studying the series, Solutions, God's Solutions to Man's Problems, because man's got a lot of problems, and man tend to think the way to solve man's problems is to come up with man's solutions. I say, let's look for God's solutions. So if you're taking notes, Today's message is called this, Set Apart Living. Set Apart Living. So we're going to pray. My man in the front rows here is doing his little, little bounce, getting ready for the message. I like it. It's cool. And we're going uh, to have a good time today. So Lord, we just thank you so much for all you're doing. And I just pray right now that uh, we don't want to hear my words, my thoughts, or my opinions. We just want to hear, hear your truth. So, Lord, use me, speak through me. I'm your vessel. Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Week two, set apart living. Remember that Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Romans is a different letter than most of the rest of his letters because the rest of his letters were in the context that Paul was writing letters to churches he started to bring them order to bring them into correction, to make sure that they were doing things right in the church. Romans has a little bit of a different tone because Paul was in Corinth for about three months with the possibility or the thought that he might never get to Rome because there was the threat that he was about, that the Holy Spirit said, well, you're going to get to Jerusalem and they're going to lock you up, they're going to bound you up, you're going to get in jail. And the people of Corinth were like, dude, you don't need to go. And he didn't know if he was going to get to Romans or not, but he did know that there was a church in Rome and that that church needed a complete and true theology. So when he wrote Romans, the context of Romans looks different because he wasn't writing necessarily to correct things in churches that he started. He wrote Romans to say, this is the true gospel of the kingdom of God, and you cannot deviate from this. He knew that his voice needed to get to the Romans because he might never get to the Romans. Everybody clear on that? So we saw last week that when he... He identifies himself to the Romans. He says, I am Paul, a bondservant of Christ. I am a slave to Christ. The reason he starts off like this is he says, I'm going to say a lot of things 
that you don't like. I'm going to say some things that's going to disrupt your ways. I'm going to say some things that's going to disrupt your culture. And before you start getting into the depths of this letter, you need to know the reason I'm saying it is because I'm not a slave to my wants or my desires or my opinions. I'm a slave to Christ. Everything that I write, everything that I say, everything I bring to you is because I am a bondservant to what God wants me to do. His assignments are mine. And if it disrupts your culture, understand why, because it's coming from him, not me. Peter even warned about it. Peter wrote in his letters, Paul, is going to, Paul has written some things that are very hard to understand. And Peter tells us there will be many people that read these letters who do not understand them and will twist them to their own understanding and it will be to their own destruction. And that is why we have so many belief systems and if they, you always ask people, why do you believe like you believe that? They'll always point you back to some passage and guess where? Romans. Because it's the theology book. It's where Calvinism comes from. It's where cessation people get their ideas from. Everyone goes back to Romans. Every ideal. Because it's hard to understand truth when you have an appetite for your own desires. Because you will twist anything to match your appetite. I, I, I'm in this process of trying to, in my mind, get right with my weight. We heard that. And I will twist anything to make it right for my appetite. You know? Like, the truth might be you don't need to eat that Big Mac. But in my mind, I'll say, well, I'll, I won't get fries. Right? We love to twist truth to appease the appetite. And that's what people do with theology. They love to twist truth to appease their wants and desires. I, 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 I'm, I'm weary to, to say this, but I, is it, I got kids in the room. Is it okay to talk about some, some, some holiday stuff? The, 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 yeah, in the back. We, we good? We good? Ron, we good? Some, some, some Easter stuff? Okay, good. All right. So, I wanted to read something because I said it last night, but some people looked at me strange, so I wanted to have some things to back it up. We love to take pagan ideas and make them work for the church. And I've been on this lately because we're coming up in a season called Easter. Okay? And every church right now, if you go on Facebook, they all got the same ad. I'm Pastor So-and-so. We would love to see you once this year for our Easter service. <laughs> and, and after our Easter service, we have a great gathering for your family where we're going to hunt Easter eggs together, right? But what do you realize where the idea of Easter and Easter eggs came from? I will. See, I got I got permission. <laughs> Easter was originally the celebration of a 
fertility and sex goddess named Ishtar in the Babylonian and Assyrian Empire. Her symbols were of an egg and a bunny. And what they also called her was the sun god. And they would worship her with the sunrise. And on Easter, you thought it was a Christian thing to have a sunrise service. Because we love to take things of the world and say what Jesus gave us wasn't enough. So let's take the cultures of our world and make them mix with the culture of God. But let me tell you something. Oil and water don't mix. And at some point, the way we look and the way we operate has to be so different that we are distinguished and set apart. And that's hard for a lot of people to get. Especially when you get Easter egg hunts out there and you get more people coming to church and an event because of something that they don't even realize is actually the worship of a pagan god. Because they put a cross on it and called them resurrection eggs. No one's going to go to the cult shop and get witch potions and bring them in and call it Christ mixes. But we'll do it with Easter, we'll do it with Christmas, we'll do it with Halloween, and we'll do it with anything that appeases our appetite. And Paul says, I need to be plain about what's truth and what's... And I know families in here probably are still going to do their thing. But as a house, and I'm not going to necessarily condemn you to your face, but <laughs> I love y'all. But as a house, we have to set up a standard. And I hope that one day we'll all walk in that, but I am held accountable for leading you in the right way, and I am, I'm not, I am not going to face God one day. And he says, so um, did you steward the tithe well? Yes, sir. We, we, we spent $3,000 on a community Easter egg hunt. <laughs> I, just, I can't do And I have done that. We've done that. When we first started Relentless, I've done that stuff. Because it's the church thing to do. But the more and more I start to understand who he is and who I am in him, I realize we have to look. Let, the, the fact of the matter is, there's a lot about the church that looks exactly like the world. I ain't gotten in my notes yet. I heard someone ask me once, what is any different about the church than the world when it comes to meeting needs? We all do the same thing. We raise money, we go meet the needs, we take care of the need. Why do I need to believe in God to do that? The difference should be is that we bring a dimension of heaven into the atmosphere, but we don't do that. We get involved with anything that can bless whatever we can, meet needs, and in meeting the need, we never bring a dimension of heaven to the need we're meeting. 
We simply meet the need financially. We feed people. And maybe sometimes we pray for people, but we never see a supernatural gateway of heaven open to healing and miracles because the church don't teach it and we don't know how to walk in it. And we don't walk in it because our culture doesn't really stand out from the culture of this world. We're just another club called Christians. And then half the Christians in America, especially in the Southeast United States, are involved in Masonic lodges and think it's okay. Oh, I'm going there. Because we have not understood the roots of what the mixture has been in the culture of the church. We don't understand the difference between a kingdom culture and a worldly culture. So I'm going to start in the last verse I read last week, which is pretty much going to set up this entire message. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God, and please keep this up here, and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and give you peace. Now remember... Paul had never been to Rome, and the church at Rome was not founded by Paul. So he didn't know much about them. We know that the church was in Rome. In fact, in Acts 2, we see that when they were speaking in different languages, different languages that the Holy Spirit allowed them to speak in, it started listing all these languages. For all you charismatics, it was not the language of a heavenly language of tongues in Acts chapter 2. Get that theology out your mind. It's not truth. There is a heavenly prayer language, but it was not in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, there was a heavenly language of tongues to speak in a language that they did not know. That was an earthly language. In other words, it would be like if I went to Japan and all of a sudden I started speaking in Japanese because the Spirit gave me the ability to speak in a tongue that I did not know. That is a different tongue than a heavenly prayer language. Stop telling people that they spoke in a heavenly prayer language when, in Acts 2 when you cannot show me that in the scripture, but you back it up with a man-made opinion because they don't know how to read. They started listing the different dialects and the different nationalities in the room. And one of the nationalities it says in Acts chapter 2 Many in that room were visitors from Rome. So when they returned to Rome, we know that there was a church established. Now we know Paul doesn't know many of them. We do know at the end of Romans chapter 16, he mentions a few names of people at the church at Rome. This was most likely because Paul had been ministering for about 20 to 30 years at this point. Just to let you know, Paul didn't get delivered on the road to Damascus and start preaching. Some of you getting delivered and you're thinking it's time to go into ministry when you need to learn how to sit up under some authority. Mm. Paul did not get delivered immediately and started going. It was 20 years of sitting up under. Learning. It might not take everyone 20 years. It might take you two months. But there has to be a posture of let me be fathered. Okay? Okay? So Paul's doing this, and he's meeting people on the way. And in that time, Rome was the greatest city. 
They were the most intellectual city. They created transportation systems. They had government set. They were the biggest thriving city. And eventually everyone would pass through or migrate to Rome. So he probably met people along the way and knew their names and they ended up in the church at Rome. He didn't know much about the church, but he did know two things. You're loved by God and you're called to be what? His holy people. The word holy actually means in the Greek to be set apart. And when you are of God, you are called to be a set apart people. Another word for holy and set apart is, guess what? A saint. In other words, Paul says, I don't know you. But if you're the church that I've been hearing about, which we're going to get into in a minute, I do know two things about you. You're loved by God and you're saints. But what we've done is we've made what God has called us a goal instead of an identity. See, in the Catholic church, the saint has become a special class of believers based on a person's deed or status in the church. And we even embrace it. We say things like, well, ain't she a saint, right? We make this idea of becoming saintly a goal or a title or I want to become. We are all saints. We are all called to be a holy, set-apart people loved by God. And maybe when you realize who you are called to be and that you don't have to earn it, you'll start to yearn to walk in what God already classifies you as. It's not a matter of let me earn the status of saintly. It's you are a saint, start living saintly. You don't earn status, start walking in your identity. You are holy and you are set apart, but does your life look set apart? Does your life look different? He says, saints, loved by God, look at the end of the scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. This was not just a casual greeting. I skipped over it last week, but the more I studied into it, I realized there is something in this. You see, back in the day, you had different cultures represented. You'll notice through the New Testament, you have a lot of language from Paul about Jews and who? Gentiles. And in some versions, you might see Greeks. Okay? Gentiles is everyone who ain't a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Same thing today. So, who Gentile in here? I am It's one culture. Because what we do is we take our cultural roots and we love to exonerate them above God's culture. Well, that's just how I was raised. That's how my people are. Hey, man, you need to be a little bit more mild-tempered. Well, that's how my people are. We feisty. Well, I don't really care a flip what your people are. God called, God came to redeem your people. But then let's get on the, because y'all know I ain't talking about white people when I talk about that. Let's talk about white people. Is that okay? Let's talk about, because white people are always just, you know, like, like lame. 
Well, God wants to redeem that too. Get out of your chains and worship me with some fire. Right? Right? Culture. Stop honoring who you is and honor who I am. It's on the podcast. All right, where am, where am I at? This is all right. As a holy set-apart people, he says, I want to start this whole, I'm digging a, a hole. I want to start this whole letter off breaking the stronghold of a cultural man-made barrier. I'm not coming to you to lift up your culture. I'm coming to you to bring the gospel of a new kind of culture. Not just a gospel of Jesus, a whole gospel that Jesus bought a way for you to enter into. A new kind of culture, a set apart living kind of culture. The gospel literally means the good news or the good telling of something. He says, I've come with the good telling of a new culture. The good telling of a new culture. This is not just about salvation. This is a new culture. Verse 8, let me say first, that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being taught about all over the world. That'd be a good greeting for a man to come into a church and say, let me just thank you because you're being talked about all over the world. The apostle Paul is saying, you've got a good reputation. The church in Rome is being talked about everywhere. Well, they should be. They're in a great location. They're in the biggest city of the world. They got a special opportunity to give God glory and all they're due. And he's saying, you are so set apart in the way you're living in Rome that everyone's talking about you. Now, I did some research in this. Would you like to know how they were talking about the church in Rome and the world? Let me tell you. They had a certain reputation, the church did. I love this. The world says, oh yeah, they incestuous, they cannibals, and they magicians. And Paul says, y'all are doing so good. Everyone's talking about y'all. You're cannibals, you're incestuous, and you're magicians. Now, in American society, if a church got called that, the first thing the pastor would do, we got to have a meeting. Why are people saying this about us? We've got to change the way we do things. We've got to meet them where we're at. We've got to make sure that we are, are, are welcoming. You know, you want to know why they got these titles? Let me tell you why they were called cannibals. Because the church in Rome stopped getting involved in the Roman festivals where they came together to eat. They stopped celebrating all of their things that exonerated all the Roman gods, all the Greek gods, all the good food. Because none of y'all go downtown for any food festivals. Mmm. I've done it too. It's okay. I'm with you. It's not okay, but just listen to me. They stopped getting involved in anything that exonerated anything that was not Christ. 
And the Romans started saying, well, what are they eating? They must be eating themselves. They're cannibals. Then they started, getting, they started getting called incestuous. You know why? Because they were so set apart in their living that they became a family that was so different from the world that they started to be totally separated from the world's stuff. So the world had to come up with, well, they must be incestuous because they ain't mixing with us. Not understanding that they, wouldn't, they would not mix, they would redeem. Then they started got, getting called magicians. Why? Because the Romans were worshiping all these gods, right? The, the sunrise god with eggs and bunnies. Apollos, Zeus, all these guys with all this lightning power and thunder power and all this power, and they trying to find some sort of healing, some sort of relief. And then here are these incestuous cannibals over here, and they in the upper room, and fires on top of their heads, and they healing people, and people walking out the grave, and they doing all this kind of weird stuff. But they must be magicians and sorcerers. Where are they getting their power from? And you know what? I don't know about you, but I want to be so set apart in the way my life is represented that the world cannot explain how we are except by trying to explain by their terminology. Paul said, y'all getting something right because they don't understand you. And they're talking about you. And people talking about you is the greatest marketing strategy in the world. Because they get curious. That's called city on a hill. That's called a light shining forth and people are going, what is that? Are y'all getting this? Set apart. We're willing to live so different that it confounds the wise. That we start looking foolish. That the ways of our living don't make sense. And I, I, I will prophesy this, and I don't do this a lot. It will happen in the middle of the church of America. That a remnant, a called out, set apart people, will start to look so different that the church itself will say they are wrong and they're cannibalistic and they cultish, they weird, they got wrong theology, and then those set apart, weird, wrong theology people, we heal the COVID while they still worship them with masks. Right? You know, we're, we're debt free and they still fighting for stimulus checks. Right? When a, a lot of churches are going to have to close up because as we get toward the end times, no matter how much we pray, some of y'all ain't going to like this. They will have the power to shut us down. 
and some will shut down, and some, even though you close our physical doors, we're going to grow stronger. Because we're set. It reminded Paul of the church in, Thessal in Thessalonica. He wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse, is this all right? Verses 8 through 9. Now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't even need to tell them about it. Wouldn't that be awesome? You go into places and you can't even preach a new word because they've already heard it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned us away from idols to serve the living and true God. Two things. All the churches love to talk about let's create a welcoming environment. But let's talk about turning away from idols to serve God. And it's not just things like bunnies and eggs. It's things like the idol of your pocketbook. It's the idol of your religion. Well, that's just not how I believe. Well, you're wrong. I talk to people at least once a week that tell me their belief systems, and then they always follow up with saying, now, if I'm wrong, let's have some conversation. I said, well, you are, so let's talk. Now I, now, I do always have a posture of maybe I've got some things incorrect. But there are some things that I know that I just will not be moved on. Amen? I'm not prideful to say that I cannot be wrong. I want that to be on recording for the scoffers that are coming against me day and night, day and night, night and day. I'm not going to put up with it. I am not prideful to say that I cannot be corrected. But I also know what I will not be moved on. Paul was the same way. And he looked at the people at Rome and said, y'all being talked about everywhere. And it's because you gave up everything and you lived a life that was so different that the only thing they could attribute is that you were of Christ. And he says, I thank God for you. Verse 9. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. Well, no wonder they were doing so well. They were covered in prayer. You know, if we would begin to cover the church in prayer, I wonder how much it would, be, it would begin to prosper. But pay attention because Paul says, God knows how much I pray for you. Because it's real easy to say I'll pray for you. But Paul says, I want you, God knows. Because Christians do real well with Christian phrasing with no application. Oh, I'll pray for you. Well, pray for me right now. Do you need prayer? I'll put you on a prayer list. Half of those prayer lists get lost. Pray for me right now. Lay hands right now. Release something in the moment. Don't put it off. There's a reason that he put that person in your sphere of influence in that moment and in that day. 
get so set apart that you look stupid stopping in the middle of a restaurant and praying over the waiter, praying over the waitress. You want to cause revival? Pray in such a way that the waiter has the Holy Spirit falling on him or her and they either start talking in tongues or healing the wait staff or speaking words of knowledge to all the customers. Could you imagine those headlines? Revival breaks out at Chick-fil-A. Or, or let's even get, you know, revival breaks out at the bar at Spanky's. Because y'all know that place ain't holy. Right? Why do we always want revival to break out here? Thank you for saying that, because I'm going to get into this next point early. We're called the church. The term, when Jesus called us his church, it came from a word called ecclesia. The word ecclesia was never a religious term. Back in the day, Ecclesia was a meeting of governors. And the governors would come together in Rome and other places and they would have meetings about affairs of the town. Do we want to go to war? Do we want to fight this battle? How will we manage the finances? Are we going to allow this into our city gates? And when Jesus left, he says, I want you to establish my Ecclesia. I want you to establish my meeting of governors. Jesus is the king of kings. Capital K of little k. Look it up in Revelation. In other words, you are the governors, the kings of the earth. And this is not a meeting to get people saved. But that's what it's been turned into. People will get saved in these meetings when the lost come. But this should not be a focus for evangelical goals. This was supposed to be the meeting of governors of how to go do business in our spheres of influence. And in a meeting of governors, governors, if you're going to influence your workplace and your family and restaurants and gas stations, you need to be so set apart that they know what they're dealing with the moment you walk into the room. We sing that song about God. When you walk into the room, everything That should happen when you walk into the room. That they see God in you in such a way that their language changes. That the way they respond changes. The way they honor changes. They see a glow on you that they can't understand. Because you are so set apart that they see something different in you and on you. Because you carry what you claim to be the all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present God. Well, if you carry that, things should change when you put your foot into the environment. We always say, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Well, before you try to get heaven in downtown Savannah, how about you start with your home? How about you start with your bank account? Don't try to get revival on the streets if you can't give God a tenth. That's called being faithful with a little. 
it's a kingdom culture is I'm going to change the way I do anything. Everything. Everything. I'm going to change the way I manage every sphere that's in my hand. Because I want to be so set apart. I want to look foolish to the world. Look at verse 10. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so that I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. Paul says, I don't know what you need, but I pray for the day to get there and whatever you need, the Lord is going to put it on me with a gift to minister to you. Now, let's talk about how people take that one scripture and create theologies off of it. The Pentecostal church. Let me get a drink of water. Y'all ready? They take that one scripture. Well, Paul didn't know what he needed. So the way we need to manage everything is we don't need to go in with a plan. We don't need to go in with preparation. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us in all things. We don't need to be organized. We don't need to plan anything. We don't need to have an order of service. We just need to let the Holy Spirit lead. Because that's how Paul did it. Do you see the rest of his 30 years of ministry? He had his trip planned out. He, had, he knew exactly what he needed to speak to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians, to the Ephesians. He knew all of it. But there were some times where he didn't know what he needed to bring. There are moments where you have plans that need to be interrupted. And there are moments where you don't have any plan, but you can't let not having a plan prevent you from going. Paul didn't say, God, give me the answer so I can get to Rome. He said, when I get there, the Holy Spirit will give me the gift that you need. But this is what we do in the church, two-sided. One side, well, we just going to let the Holy Spirit lead in everything and not plan it. No, he needs a plan. I got to go here. I got to Corinth, Jerusalem, and Rome. And it took a long time to get to Rome. And when I get there, I'm not really sure what gift you need other than just bringing the gospel. But I know I'm going to have a gift and it's going to grow you. On the other side, this is what we do. I don't know the gift you need. So God has called me to a season of rest. And I'm just going to pray until God shows me the gift. And you spend 30 years praying about what God wants you to do when God says, if you would have just gone there 30 years ago, I would have showed you what you needed. You see, you can't have a one-sided idea of how this works. He works with plans. He works without plans because he is above our ways and above our thoughts. It's not just a one way or the other. It's let the Holy Spirit lead in what you know and let the Holy Spirit lead in what you don't know. You cannot go just one way. It's a kingdom culture. You can't just have a formula. Because this is not based off of the world. 
Businessmen always talk to me about, do you have this planned out in your budget and do you have that? Yes, I do, but sometimes you got to make a stupid decision. Did we have all the money to sign for that? No. Just being real. I made the vision very plain. If we get pledges for $30,000 in one weekend, we'll sign on the lease. The first weekend, we got $12,000. Based on the plan, I should not have done what? But the Lord said, don't you dare. Not sign that. And I was going to wait till next week, but I'm going to go ahead and share it now. I told y'all today that we raised $23,000. Last night, someone got online and gave a $5,000 donation to the coffee shop. I guarantee you by next weekend, we're going to hit our $30,000 goal. But it took saying, I, even though it wasn't the plan, God says, go there and I will supply your every This preaching deserves a Big Mac. <laughs> but, and fries. Mm. And a large Coke. And maybe an apple pie. All right, do they even do that anymore? I don't even know. I don't eat McDonald's. I eat a, you know, kayak, cafe, green salads, just organic. So, that's called lying, y'all. <laughs> but here's the thing. The reason we don't, let's get back on track. The reason, the reason we don't go there is because we say, well, how do you understand the voice of God? Set apart. Set apart living. I can't formulate the voice of God because he speaks in such a way to me and he speaks in such a way to you. And you would understand the voice of God if you actually spent time in a relationship with him. Because when you start to live set apart, you'll start to get real clear in your vision and your hearing of what's of God and what's not of God. And it takes time. I imagine that the reason it took Paul, to, Paul was a great businessman. Paul convinced hundreds if not thousands of people that it was a good idea to murder Christians. And it took him 20 years to be released into ministry. Maybe it was because he had to learn how to decipher his voice. Because it's real easy to hear God when he makes you blind, puts you on the ground and says, I am God. But it's a lot different than when you're just walking in and God starts saying, go to Jerusalem, you're going to jail. And you're like, that ain't my call. <laughs> right? It's a process. It's a relationship where you have total, ridiculous, foolish trust. You got to be all in. Kingdom culture. 
You know, Second Chronicles 16, 8 through 9, it says this. I hope this is okay today. I hope this is challenging you. You know, in 2 Chronicles 16, 8 through 9, it says, Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast army with all of their chariots and their charioteers? At, the, at that time, at that time, you relied on the Lord, and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Not those who say they believe, but those whose hearts are fully committed. What a fool you've been from now and you'll be at war. You know, set apart living is being fully committed. The Lord is looking for the fully committed, not just for those who believe. I've said it a million times, but I'll say again. The Lord says, there will be many that call upon my name. There will be many that say to me that you believe in me, but I'll say to you, I never knew you. But Lord, I came up to the altar and said, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I didn't know you. I got baptized as a baby. I didn't know you. I've been to church every Sunday. I didn't know you. I could read the Bible from front to back. So did the priest who crucified me. I don't know you. I'm looking for people who say they believe and are fully committed to a set-apart life that no one gets except for those that know me. Verse 12, when we get together, church at Rome, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. You want to know what a mark of set-apart living is? Humility. This is the flippant Apostle Paul going to the church at Rome and saying, I want to be encouraged by you. This is a dude that has gotten bitten by poisonous snakes, flung them off into a fire, was called God, and then he had to show them that he wasn't God, that it was God working through him. This is a dude that if you read scriptures carefully, it says he was stoned to death. People got around him and he got up. It wasn't just Lazarus and Jesus. Let me talk about that for a minute. Because when we are, we are raised to what in Christ? Life. Can I give y'all a spoiler alert? How many of you believe in Jesus? How many of you are saved? See, look at, come on y'all. How many of you are, are saved? Can I, let, me, let me just tell y'all something. You ain't never going to die. So why is your rhetoric, I can't wait to get to heaven when I die? You've already died. You were reborn, as a matter of fact. That's why he says, get obsessed with bringing heaven to earth and start your new life in me right now, set apart from everything else. Get set apart. Start living new. You have a new life set apart in me. Paul has been doing crazy things. People have been healed. He's been ministering. He's been doing it for 20, 30 years. He's a great man of God, and he's going, I want to be encouraged by you. Because they calling you cannibals. They calling you incestuous. They calling you magicians, and your faith is staying the same. You're not being moved by it. 
I think we need to be a, to, to be a church that is so set apart in the way we live that no matter what they say or do, we will not be moved. Ever. Verse 13, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, I'm getting there, that I plan many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I've seen among other Gentiles. I have a sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. Let me break it down. He's saying, I have spent most of my ministry everywhere else. Rome was the most advanced city. It's where transportation came from. It's where their money systems came from, the bank systems, the government. They had the highest form of intellect of everywhere, and all the cities got their ideas from Rome. Paul said, I've been everywhere else. I've given the gospel to all of them, and now I have got to come to the city that is in its most highest intellect, intellectual mindset. I've got to come to the most advanced-minded city. I've got to come to the city that is most advanced. I've got to come to the culture that is most advanced in this world to show them how it still doesn't measure up to a culture that they're going to call foolish and stupid. Isn't it funny how we're willing to take everything we believe everywhere except the hard places? We love to take the gospel to the homeless and to the parks and to the streets. But when you start taking the gospel to the way you govern your family, to politics, to entertainment, we don't like taking it there because it's hard. Paul says, I, I am ready to do that. I am ready to get to the most educated, advanced places and show them how foolish and stupid and how dumb I am because the culture that I bring supersedes the most advanced culture. We're in a day where the people that are called the most advanced and the most strategic are people who are uplifting uh, everything of darkness and everyone is starting to come into agreement with it and some churches are even starting to come into agreement and we have got to stop saying and when I say we, the church anyone that ever hears this message whether it be in this room, on the podcast or through your voice in the places that you influence everyone has to understand we are not going to buy into just because you think we're foolish it means we're wrong our culture is the advanced culture our culture is the one that we foul up and we will occupy and redeem a culture that does not make sense to what they think is advanced. Advanced to the world is accept any and every identity because we want you to feel loved. It's a false love. Why would we let them feel safe in a false, secured sense of love? Why would we let people identify so that they feel validated? They're going to feel validation for the rest of their lives in something that is contrary to the most freeing truth in the world. 
But the church is saying, well, let's, we don't want to offend anyone. The Lord says, I have come not just to unify, but to divide with a sword. Have we forgotten that part of the scripture? Like, like, did we just omit that? Unity, unity, unity. Yes, divide and unify. Be unified in the right thing, not in all things. Paul said, I'm eager. Look at Romans 15, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. I'm eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. The New King James Version says it like this. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. Remember what gospel is. The good telling of a kingdom culture. I am ready to come to the most advanced city. And you know what this word leads to? Under Nero, guess what Paul ha- happens to Paul? He gets killed. You know what Paul says? I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready to come to the most advanced society and bring the most stupid preaching in the world. Let's go. And what's funny is that in Acts 9, verse 6, when he first meets Jesus, when he gets blinded on the road to Damascus, the first question he asks, he says, he stands trembling and astonished, and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And for the next 20 to 30 years, it's jail time, shipwrecks, snake bites, all this crazy stuff, and if that wasn't enough, now he doesn't, he's just, I'm ready. Whatever. Lord, whatever. Whatever you want me to do, let's go. When is that church going to show up? I'm ready, Lord. Whatever you want. Whatever the cost. I don't care what it is. You say go, let's go. You want us to take on what everyone else is running from? Let me tell you what running looks like to me. When you're huddling in your houses of worship, praying for the return of Christ. Why are people praying for Christ's return? It's promised. He's coming. Don't waste your time. Lord, just, just, Lord, come. I told you a long time ago, and you take communion about it. I'm coming back. Shut up. I'm shift, shift the prayers. You don't need, the moment I left, an angel came down and said, stop looking to the clouds and the stars in the sky and stop focusing on where you need to apply the kingdom. Apply my culture. Occupy. Go make disciples of all nations. They all have their different cultures. Disciple them into a kingdom culture. A set apart living from everything they have known their entire lives. Talking about foolish and dumb. You remember how at the beginning of the beginning of this, there was two different greetings with the Greek and Jewish greeting of grace and peace. Check, check out this passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish, 
foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews. They're asking for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks. They're seeking human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. The Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Culture. Jews are looking for heaven, so I sent Christ through a baby. Through a woman who claims she was pure when she was pregnant at 15. And your Messiah, who you're looking to come down from heaven, is going to be laying in hay with a bunch of barn animals. Foolish. Greeks, the most intellectual humans that are calling the church cannibals, incestuous magicians, they're looking for, explain it to me. Okay, I'll explain it. God sent the Messiah through a virgin, lived about 30 years, and then he started feeding 5,000 people with two loaves of bread. He got crucified on a cross, slapped dead. Skin wasn't even hardly on his bones. Three days later, he got out of the grave fully restored. You could still see the scars, but he was beautiful. He could pop up in houses without even opening doors. And then days later, he just rose up into the clouds and disappeared. And then he told us to go preach about him. To a culture that said, we're all about the intellectual explanations. But is that so different than what the church has done? We try to make everything so easy to understand. Some things we can explain. Some things we can put into a teaching. But there are some things we will never be able to explain except by them actually seeing it. And the only way they will see it is if we embrace a lifestyle where God says, you are so set apart that you are worthy to represent me. People always ask, why is it that there are so many healings in Africa and in America? It's like once every 100 years. Because the church is not truly set apart. You want to know how I know churches ain't set apart enough? Think about what happens in church. And I, this isn't necessarily directed to anyone in this house. Just hear me out. This is a, just a blanketed statement. People... They go to a church, and it's clever, and it's good, and it's fresh, and it lasts for a while. But eventually, the cleverness doesn't sustain you, so you go to another church, and it's clever, and it's good for a while, but it doesn't sustain you, so you go to another church. And the preaching's good, and it's clever, and it's good for a while. But it doesn't, because no one has gotten it. It's not about how you relate to people necessarily. It's not about the good strategies. It's simply this. Are we so set apart accessing a dimension of heaven together that we cannot find anywhere else?
I want to get in that remnant of people to seek God in such a way that other people are straight scared to dive into. We're willing to get it wrong. We're willing to get it right. Not because we're compromising truth, but because we're searching. It happened with the disciples. They tried to go cast a demon out, and they had to come back to Jesus and said, Hey, we tried it just like we saw you do it, but why didn't the demon leave? Well, this kind doesn't leave by prayer and fasting. You have not set apart your lifestyle enough to demand that level of authority. Set apart living. You want all these miracles in your life? You want all these breakthroughs? It's, you cannot just pray those, pray it down. You can't, no. This is how you pray it down. You send a prayer up, and you make sure that your life is so set apart that while angels are fighting your battle in a realm that you cannot see, your life is merited for a release from heaven to earth. I want a miracle. I need a breakthrough. Get set apart. God don't operate like a bank account that you can just make withdrawals from. Verse 16. I'm almost done. I know I said that 30 minutes ago, but I'm almost done. Two more verses in Romans. Verse 16. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. He says, I am not ashamed to come talk about a man who represents to the Romans the lowest class of people, Jews. And he says, Romans, you're all about order. Let me tell you the order. He came first for the Jews and then the Gentiles. Because even God is a God of what? Order. He says, but you're all adopted and you're all equal. Just because he came second for the Gentiles doesn't mean you're second in value. There's an order. I came for you. Jews first and then the Gentiles. First the Jew, also the Gentiles. You are all included in this. And he says, I am not ashamed to bring apart this message. There's actually a, a very popular pastor um, you might know him, his name's Robert Morris. He pastors Gateway Church in Texas. He sets apart the first Friday to host a Messianic Jewish service in his house to set aside the first Friday of the month because of first the Jews. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily right, but I just think that's a cool way to honor order. We, 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 and the reason I'm getting to that is because the scripture literally says, Jesus tells us that, that we should be honoring certain feasts. And we call them Jewish and not understanding that in kingdom culture there is no Jew or Gentile. They are feasts. This is where they get them wrong. Jewish people do the feast thinking they're prophecy. We're supposed to be entering to the feast knowing that we're celebrating a fulfilled prophecy. Do y'all understand how it works? We've got this is truth. Now again, well, I don't this this offends my mindset. Well, I 
Kyle, am a slave and bondservant to Jesus Christ, and I have to tell you his truth above what you want to hear and what I want to hear. I grew up with the same cultural stuff you do. I don't like the idea of having to put stuff aside that I love, but if I want to be set apart in everything, I have to die to some things that I love. Because my heart, according to the scripture, can be the most deceptive thing I have. So I have to make that my heart's desires are in line with his and not my own. He says, I'm not going to be ashamed because it's the power of God at work in me. This isn't my power. This is God's power. And he says, the only thing that doesn't give it power is when it is hindered because I'm ashamed by it. The only thing that hinders the power of God is when the people are ashamed of his power. Like when you're scared to pray healing because you're scared it won't work. Right. Like you won't go do it because you're scared to look like a fool. Probably like the disciples did when they tried to cast out a demon and everyone said, <laughs> good job, Christ followers. Because you know what happened. Timothy said it like this in 2 Timothy 2.15. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You know who Timothy was? You know where he got that from? He was a protege of Paul. He was Paul's spiritual son. Paul's sitting here saying, I will not be ashamed. And Timothy later on says, you don't need to be ashamed. Well, how can you not be ashamed? You've got to be willing to correctly do it. How do you correctly do it? Be so set apart in your living that you've had a lifestyle given to understand. And half the church of America don't understand because they won't give it to a lifestyle. They'll give it to a Sunday, Wednesday meeting. That's not lifestyle. That's religion. You check it off of your pharisaical list thinking, I'm doing the right thing. Well, you can't, you can't make yourself right. Only he can do that. So the fact that he made you right gets set apart. And speaking of righteousness, I will close with this, the last verse of today, Romans 1.17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. By what? As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. You're made right by faith. You know what faith is? Trusting in Jesus. And do not tell me you trust in him when nothing about your life mirrors a trust. I trust in Jesus. Okay. Go honor your father and mother. Well, they don't deserve my honor. Then you don't trust in Jesus. Because it's not a matter of do they deserve it. It's a matter of do you trust that when you honor them in their undeserving? Forgive, forgive those who've done wrong to you. Well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Then you don't trust them. Because you're still in chains that you don't need to be worried about. Think about chains for a second. Paul's goal was to get to Rome, right? Do y'all remember how Paul got to Rome? It was in a ship after a shipwreck. You know how he got to Rome in the ship? He was a prisoner. Which means Rome paid his way to get there. 
And they welcomed him into the city. And Paul was representing a kingdom culture that was going to supersede their Roman culture. He was about to disrupt everything, and they just welcomed him in. The biggest threat to their society, they welcomed him in with chains. And they let him preach for two years untouched. We always sing, break every chain, break every chain, break every... They already broke in number one. And number two, what better advantage do I have than the world to think that I'm still bound? Can you imagine? Go with me. Can you imagine, Paul? They got no idea. <laughs> they paying my way. And I'm about to tell them how they're wrong about everything. And they just, thank, thank you for paying my expense, travel expenses into Rome. Because the scripture says when he got to Rome, it says Paul paid himself for everything. So he saved money on the travel because Rome brought him in. In chains. Because they thought he wasn't a threat. Trust him. Sometimes you got to trust God that a shipwreck's going to bring you right into. Sometimes you got to trust God. All the time. He says, start to finish. I've made you right in my sight. That word righteous, it comes from this word dikaio, D-I-K-I-O-O, in the Greek, and with Greek verbs, they always end in O-O, the letters, O-O. You know what it means when you end a Greek verb in O-O? It takes a word, and it means to treat someone as is, to treat a person as. So that Greek word actually means to justify. So when God says, I've made you right, it doesn't mean he proves that a sinner's right. It does not mean that he makes a sinner a good person. When God says, I make you right, he says this, I'm going to treat you as if you had never been a sinner at all. And if I'm going to treat you as if you had never been a sinner at all, live set apart, worthy of how I treat you. I treat you as if you never missed the mark. You know, the word sin is an archery term. It was a, it was a term used when you shot an arrow. You miss the target. That's why sin is sin, because a miss is a miss. But the distance from the target can vary. A miss is a miss. But sometimes you can become more distant in the type of miss. And God says, I'll make you as if you never missed it. And the way you respond is no matter how far the miss is, I want you to start living as if you're on target. Live set apart here while the world 
is off target. Set apart living. Live for me. Spread my culture. Don't live for anything else. And when you do that, we'll change the world. He will be exalted. And we'll have God's solutions to man's problems. Amen.